it's Dr. Kieran here. Welcome to Bridging Medical Paradigms. In the vast and varied landscape of medicine, from the traditional to the modern, the complementary to the conventional, all paired with shifts in societal, technological and political trends, it is a tricky and tiring affair to keep on top of. My aim is to leave you feeling empowered in your engagement with healthcare, to mitigate unnecessary experiences and aim for more positive outcomes. Today, we are going to look at effectively using the internet for health information. Just a little bit of background. So, it was in 1993 that the computer scientist, Tim Berners-Lee, provided the means for the public to stop browsing the ever-evolving information network that developed into the internet. It was originally called Mesh, being associated with the idea of linked information systems. Tim Berners-Lee then dubbed it the World Wide Web. So let me ask the question, where is one of the first places you go to find out about something? For me, it's the internet. How to turn cups into ounces when making a chocolate brownie. What time a supermarket will be open. Not using spider sense and just searching how do I get from here to there. It's funny, my friend said that she used her fingers once to pan in on a location on a paper map, then realised it wasn't a screen. I guess we're also used to it now, it's become a bit for habit. But anyway, for our health matters, the internet can be a potentially dangerous territory. We are opening ourselves up to misinformation and going down a rabbit hole of it could be this or this overwhelm and wasting a lot of time. So I've tried to make this as straightforward as possible and give you some tips. Just a little side note, it's probably obvious but do make sure that you have an up-to-date cybersecurity for your laptop, phone, whatever you're using for browsing. There are so many different softwares out there now. Look at the Trustpilot reviews etc when you select one. The software can help filter out those unsafe sites through different indicators. Also, encrypted and safer websites begin with HTTPS, as opposed to websites that begin with HTTP. Let's get on with those tips. Number one, don't become a cyberchondriac. Set time limits when you do health research and stay focused. Don't go off on a medical wild goose chase. Be very clear with yourself on what you are trying to find out about. I always have a piece of A4 paper and pen beside me. At the top of the page, as a heading, write what you're trying to find out about and try to be as specific as possible. For example, NHS hospitals in London that specialise in IVF. If you leave out NHS and you search the other terms, you will see that you will first get a page full of private hospitals and services. So it's important to include exactly what you want in your search or pain behind eyes rather than just eye pain. Then just bullet point beneath a couple of ideas that relate to your search and don't go over one side of A4. That's enough. Okay, so what to do is coming up next. Number two, identify the trustworthy health sites. Firstly, you can generally trust sites that end in .gov or .edu. 
and sites that belong to well-established groups such as the British Heart Foundation. Here's a list of some reliable medical websites that you may find useful. Bear in mind that some of these are American or UK based sites, but they still may provide valuable information that you can make applicable to your situation or find an equivalent wherever you are in the world. So there's Medline Plus. Medline Plus hosts the service of the National Library of Medicine. There's plenty of articles about different conditions, tests, symptoms, injuries and surgeries, all verified by health professionals and it's regularly updated. The National Organization for Rare Disorders or NORD. This is an American site. It offers access to information on a broad range of rare conditions as well as the associated support systems. For cancer support and information, you can go to the Macmillan site. There's Great Ormond Street Hospital for Children, or GOSH. This site specialises in healthcare for the under-16s. The site offers information on a wide range of conditions, treatments and medications, again, all written by health professionals, and it's regularly updated. I also wanted to let you know about contact.org.uk. This site provides support for families with disabled children. There's a lot of useful stuff on there. Okay, so once you click on a site, you'll notice that those trustworthy organisations will provide their address, a way to contact them, and an About Us section, where they will describe their purpose. So if a site doesn't, have any of these things, you can question their authenticity. Also, when reading health information, I want you to be aware of the following. Health information from sites or articles that are selling anything health related, such as supplements or lotions and potions that sounds too good to be true. Their objective is to sell, so be wary of these. Consider who wrote the information. Charity and government sites are unlikely to be biased, but companies again may want you to buy something. Think, is there some sort of financial incentive behind it? Look for authors that are willing to provide challenging evidence that's not polarised, you know, it's not one-sided. In general, the writing should be free from spelling errors and grammatically correct. If it sounds a bit dodgy, just stay away from it. The article should list the author's name, their qualification to write on the subject matter, and in some cases, how the article has been verified. It should also be mentioned in the article where the information has been sourced from. You should also be able to find a date on which the information was published or updated. This helps determine the relevancy of what you're reading. I, you don't want to be reading an article on managing cholesterol dating back to 2001 when there is a more recent article out there. 3. Finding support. If you have just been diagnosed with a condition, you may want to connect with others who are in a similar situation to reflect on their experiences. You know a problem shared is a problem halved. I would suggest to first go with the most regulated forms of support. So you could go to one of the trustworthy associations specific to your condition and they can often link you to support groups in your area or they may have their own membership scheme. 
For example, on the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society website, they provide their own local support groups to help you manage your condition. Or, remember in podcast one, you could also ask your GP if they can suggest any support groups that you can connect with. If you're being seen by a specialist, you could also ask them. Or you could even contact the admin at the department or hospital you're being seen at. Furthermore, your specialist will have a lot of experience in treating people with your condition. Therefore, they will have access to many people that may be in a similar situation to you. I've seen it in practice, particularly when a patient is going to have an operation and really wanted to gain access to first-hand experience of the pros, cons and recovery. The hospital offered a buddy scheme where they could connect you with someone that already had the operation. So there's no harm in asking to find out what may be available to you. Also, you could directly email or phone an association and ask if they could connect you. Other forms of support are through online groups or forums. They can be a really useful way to get in touch with others. Although there will be genuine people on these sites, there's always the possibility of being faced with extreme or inaccurate views. So be cautious and be wary of giving out your personal contact details. You then have blogs that are written by people who want to share their experience about a condition or their loved one's um, condition. Some of these sites have helpful links to information. But always remember to do the trustworthy site and information check that we spoke about earlier. Then we have social media accounts like YouTube, Instagram, etc. Created by and for the purpose of a person to document their experience of a particular condition. But it's really important to bear in mind that when someone is talking about their experience, that is specific to their individual case. Just look at it as broadening your knowledge base on the condition and the opportunity to form and ask questions and also as a way of forming a connection with someone that may be in a similar situation to you. But don't take it on board in the sense of it will be exactly the same for me. As an extra, if you wanted to go directly to original medical research, although I feel this deserves a whole other podcast of its own, a good starting point would be to use PubMed. This will get you to the medical journal articles you need to read. PubMed actually offers a tutorial that lasts about an hour to complete. So you could go through the tutorial and then head for the review articles. The review articles will offer an overview of the latest medical research on whatever you are trying to find out about. If you want to read a particular paper, You could just read the abstract and if you need to, the conclusion. If you don't understand a word, don't let that deter you. Just bleep it out. Just obtaining a brief understanding of what you're reading in an article will probably be enough to allow you to ask your doctor questions. And if you want to know what a medical term means, put into your browser medical library association dash what did my doctor say? And that will take you through to a site where there is a good array of commonly used terms and their definitions. Four, finally. So you'll have the key bits of information that you've learnt in bullet points 
remember, on your A4 piece of paper. If you now want to follow up and see your GP or another health professional about a diagnosis or to discuss what you've learnt that you feel maybe hasn't been addressed in your treatment plan, for example, you could say, Doctor, what do you think about X? I've heard about it and know about, say what you've learnt, remember your bullet points, and I wonder if that's what I have. If they say no, ask them why. Or, Doctor, as you're aware, I have condition X. I've heard about this treatment or this test, and I wonder if that is what I would need to help my condition. If they say no, ask them why. Basically, what I don't want you to do is to take along loads of internet printouts. I want you to have this conversation. This way, you can open up the dialogue to discuss your matter further to get some progression or closure on your case. That's a wrap. I hope you found this useful and can make it applicable to your own or loved one's situation if need be. And remember, you don't have to use the internet or to such an extent, particularly if you feel that it stresses you. The aim here is to always make it your own. Keep it simple. Make sure that you're well informed. You know, you've got your problem and you've got your plan from podcast one. And you can see from what we talked about today that you can also get loads of information and guidance by just talking to the relevant people. Take care and I'll see you next week. Bye.